In October 2017, actor Kevin Spacey was right where he wanted to be. Stage 33 on the CBS television city lot in Los Angeles, participating in a recording of the 50th anniversary of The Carol Burnett Show in front of a live audience. The 84-year-old Burnett, a longtime friend who trusted Spacey, introduced him as an Oscar-winning guy and everyone's favorite president. Just a couple of weeks later, Spacey's career was in free fall amid mounting allegations of sexual harassment and assault. He was edited out of that TV special. Two Academy Awards, a Tony Award, nominated for 12 Emmys. In a flash, it was all erased. A lifetime to build a reputation, an instant for it to be destroyed. Warren Buffett is often credited with saying something like that. Perhaps his reputation precedes him because he was only repeating what Will Rogers had said 60 years earlier, who was only repeating what Benjamin Franklin had written a couple hundred years earlier. In the example of Spacey, surely he deserved to have his reputation trashed. It wasn't one mistake, only that he'd finally been exposed. But for many organizations and individuals, it can be one mistake. A lifetime invested in being seen as good can come crashing down. My name is Doug Downs, music off the top, the theme from The Carol Burnett Show, composed by Joe Hamilton, and the theme from House of Cards, composed by Jeff Beal. My guest this week is T.J. Winnick, joining us from Boston. Hey, T.J. Hey, Doug. How are you? I'm good. How are things? So it, we've got about a foot of snow outside in Canada's Rocky Mountains right now, and we're recording in, in November. How are things in, uh, in Boston? Well, Doug, I have to tell you... Uh, it's about 65 degrees Fahrenheit, which, of course, is unseasonably warm. But you know what the saying is uh, when it comes to New England weather, Doug? If you don't like it, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Right. And at least you're not having to watch the Yankees play in the baseball playoffs. They're long out of it by now. Yeah, there is a little bit of uh, solace there. Absolutely. Exactly. TJ, I, re- I really enjoyed your book. Thank uh, you. Reputation Capital, How to Navigate Crises and Protect Your Greatest Asset. Um, the book is all about the value of banking reputation capital, that bank of goodwill. Um, so let's talk about two companies off the top, both of whom have experienced crises. Uh, Disney, which does have deposits in that bank of goodwill, longstanding company, and Meta, Facebook, huge company, but hasn't been around as long and definitely doesn't have at least nearly as much saved in that bank of goodwill. Tell me about those two. Yeah, and and they both really have experienced uh, crises of their own this year. You know, you mentioned Walt Disney. I think you'd agree with me. They're one of the most trusted, family-friendly brands in the world, right? Built over decades through theme parks, movies, merchandise, etc. That helped them weather a pretty substantial crisis earlier this year that I'm sure your listeners heard about. It ignited when a number of Orlando employees expressed outrage that their CEO, Bob Chapek, 
didn't publicly condemn a piece of Florida state legislation its opponents call the Don't Say Gay Bill. Uh, in the first statement, which was heavily criticized, Chapek essentially tried to avoid the issue, writing that you know Disney felt its real influence was through inspiring content. And unfortunately, he en- had to end up apologizing to his LGBTQ employees, writing that, you know, you needed me to be a stronger advocate and that he apologized. And, and in response... You know, Florida's governor, who was a proponent of the legislation, accused Disney of taking a rather woke position and revoked special tax and self-governing privileges enjoyed by Disney for decades. So regardless of how you feel about the Florida legislation, and I try to separate the politics from the brand response in all of these uh, cases, it was a political lightning rod from the very beginning and one that Chapek and Disney really should have adequately prepared for. You know, and while other lesser brands may have suffered a crippling reputational hit as a result of such a crisis, I think it's safe to say the strength of the Disney brand remains strong, due in no small part to their strong reputation. Yeah, and the fence is no longer a safe place for a lot of corporations. Exactly. Um, and then Meta, Meta, Facebook, where, what happened with them? Yeah, I mean, I don't think any single brand has so consistently been putting out reputational fires in the past five years as the company now known as Meta, you know, there's been the failing to keep user information secure. There's been the allowing for the spread of disinformation, the facilitating the live stream of a mass murder, to name just a few. Mm -hmm. And those alone are bad enough. But, you know, it's how Mark Zuckerberg, the CEO and the brand have responded to those scandals in public statements, interviews, congressional hearings that really could not lower their reputation any further. But it does seem like the constant and consistent inability to accept responsibility or project humility, uh, in addition to them going all in on the uh, metaverse R&D, obviously, has really begun chipping away at their reputation and their profitability. And the the flashing red lights are are numerous right now for them. Uh, Of course, Meta recently saw its uh, second straight quarter of decline in revenue, and and right now its stock is at its lowest value since early 2016, Hmm. so perhaps a time for some folks to buy. Mm -hmm. Uh, The company is reportedly now paying what's being referred to as a brand tax to tech workers who are afraid that even working there could jeopardize their future job prospects. Hmm. Um, We know that the FTC wants to reverse Facebook's acquisition of Instagram and WhatsApp, you know, arguing that this would represent a monopoly, and in January of this year, a judge uh, did allow that case to move forward. And then finally, uh, something that many of your use, uh, listeners excuse me, will have heard about, there's significant risk due to the possible reform of Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act. That's the law that protects these companies from being held legally liable for user content. So, you know, if something terrible is uh, done as a result of a social media post, those companies cannot be sued. Well, there could be some serious reforms there, and that could definitely impact how not only Facebook or Meta, but all of their uh, fellow uh, social platforms, um, you know, look to make changes in the years ahead. No kidding. I didn't know about that. That's definitely something to follow. So Reputation Capital, um, in your book, you walk through seven recommendations for how I can make deposits in that bank. Uh, Walk me through those seven at, at a fairly high level. Right. So we we talked about, you know, crisis and issues management, which is somewhat defensive in nature. But building building brand equity is really about proactive public relations and brand building, right? It helps establish and cultivate trust between a brand and its key audiences, whether, you know, that's customers for a company, patients in a hospital or students, if we're talking about higher education. 
Um, I'm going to run through them. This is what most organizations should think about doing to build trust if they aren't already. Just ticking them off. Prioritizing workplace culture, right? It's the most important stakeholders. Uh, they're internal. They're brand ambassadors. They have the most skin in the game. Uh, listen to critical feedback. There are lessons to be learned from critics. Don't have a knee-jerk reaction and assume they're wrong. You know, become thought leaders in your industry. It's not enough to just take part in the discussion happening within a particular industry. You want to be one of the leaders who sets the agenda. So be a presence, whether it's earned media or industry awards or conferences. Make sure you're cultivating your online audience. And that means not ignoring those social channels followed by your key audiences, because we all know that when the uh, excrement hits the air conditioning, that those platforms can become the de facto customer service uh, number uh, for many of your users or customers. And they'll want to be talking with folks who they know are watching closely and are super responsive. Also, you know, we tell our clients they need to produce content. Every organization is now its own media company. Think about white papers, blogs, infographics, industry surveys, podcasts, podcasts. Thank you. Absolutely. Podcasts. And then, you know, the last one is exercise corporate citizenship. You know, you want to choose which causes to support with a sense of purpose. You know, you want to ask yourself how the mission of your organization can tie into the mission of the nonprofit or the cause that you are advocating for. So in the book, I talk about, you know, real estate developers can help, you know, figure out the homelessness issue. Um, if you are a restaurant or a food service provider, you can think about how you can help feed the hungry. So, you know, giving to someone uh, a, a cause that not only will your, you know, your circle of, of uh, stakeholders appreciate, but that really is um, focused on the mission at hand and will make an impact. I did want to mention one last one, which is uh, recommending that people choose the highest value, a highest value uh, for their company, such as safety, trust, truth, or responsibility, um, and then figure out how to operationalize it. You know, there are too many companies that say, our only, our only value is um, profits. And uh, while I think we take that for granted, uh, I do think that coming up with safety or trust or truth and responsibility, and then putting policies in place that ensure that that's what stakeholders understand about your organization is critically important. That note about critics, uh, that one really stood out to me because I've worked within corporations. Every big company is going to have critics. It's part of the road to success is eventually there, there will be critics. It's just too easy to say, well, they're just going to criticize. And in fact, sometimes in politics, that's their job is to just criticize. The, the challenge with ignoring critics is if, if I don't agree with you as part of the audience, I therefore must agree with your critic, so to speak. Um, can you expand a bit on that? Uh, not just tolerating critics, but embracing your critics, really seeking to understand those who are criticizing you. Well, I, I think I have a, I think I have one uh, case study in that, which I think is really relevant, which is John Mackey is the CEO of Whole Foods. And he was not accosted, but he was approached by 
a representative from an animal rights group uh, back in around 2014, I want to say, that accused Whole Foods of essentially not treating waterfowl humanely. And so what uh, John Mackey did was he thought about it. He asked for the uh, woman's uh, you know, email address and, and phone number, contact information. They actually stayed in touch over the course of uh, several months. Mackey did his research. Um, he subsequently became a vegan uh, because of some of the things that he was learning through this critic. And in the end, he, you know, when he gave interviews, he said, you know what, I realized these groups were right. Um, you know, we thought we were doing the right thing, but we weren't. And now, you know, we're proud to say that we have, you know, the highest standards um, in in the industry when it comes to, you know, the humane treatment of of animals. That's outstanding. Yeah. yeah so, I mean, that was someone who really internalized um, the the, you know, constru- constructive criticism that others may have just, you know, taken the number, thrown it in the trash handed it to an assistant, um, you know, written some sort of pro forma letter, letter. Thank you very much for, you know, your input. Um, you know, it means a lot and we appreciate your support and never really would have done anything. But uh, he really took the opportunity to to double down and to make sure that he was not only listening and that, you know, Whole Foods didn't just become a leader in the area, but really, you know, a trendsetter and a trailblazer and someone that other companies in the, you know, supermarket or food service industry look to when it comes to, when it comes to the best, best practices. Podcasting. Now there's an idea. You listen to podcasts. Maybe a podcast is right for you or one of your clients. Stories and Strategies is a full podcast production company with clients in the United States, as well as Canada, Great Britain, and Australia. If you want to chat, send me an email, doug at storiesandstrategies.ca, and we'll set up that chat. Let's talk podcasts. Okay, simply because we all love rubbernecking when there's been an accident, I want to talk briefly about a few mishaps involving large brands, and you expand on all of these in your book. Uh, Tell me first about when Apple released the iPhone 4. Right, so this was in 2010, and they released the iPhone 4, and customers complained almost immediately about signal issues. Instead of owning the faulty antenna problem, Apple's response actually was to essentially blame the users, claiming that... It's your fault. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Gripping the phone is going to result in some weakness of its antenna performance. Steve Jobs actually dismissed the difficulty experienced by his customers as a non-issue and complained that when companies get as big as Apple has, that they, you know, folks just want to naturally tear them down. But, you know, he and the company finally did get the message, uh, pun intended, uh, in the end, uh, Apple actually <laughs> conceded that the iPhone 4's reception problem resulted from a hardware flaw. They gave all of the iPhone 4 users a free case, which seemed to solve the reception issues, and they eventually settled the class action lawsuit uh, on the matter. 
Oh, good for them. I think um, Lululemon had something similar right around the same time frame where the fabric on one of their, their yes. pairs of pants was wearing off and the response from the leader at the time, who's no longer the leader, was, well, some thighs are just so big, they rub against each other and that's what wears out the fabric. So, yeah, nicely no, done. Yeah, I covered that as a journalist and it was, he, yeah, he did say something like, you know, not all women's bodies work for, you know, this product. Right. And in and, and the following week, Doug, he, he uh, put a apology on YouTube and you would think that he would have apologized for making that statement. Did he double down on it? He didn't exactly double down, but what he did apologize for was how sad uh, many of his employees were over over the controversy. Oh. So he never actually directly apologized to the to the customers who he essentially then offended twice. Stay classy. Okay, Tesla, after the 2016 death of a Florida man when Tesla's autopilot system didn't work. Yeah. Now, Doug, I know it's surprising that Elon Musk found himself in the middle of some controversy, <laughs> yeah. but um, right. Following the 2016 death uh, of a Florida man because of the autopilot system didn't detect a, a truck uh, crossing in the highway, uh, Musk used social and traditional media as he does to defend the safety of the autopilot system. Nothing wrong there, right? You have to defend your brand. But the issue is, is that there was little empathy for the, the man who lost his life. Instead, what the car company really focused on in their messaging and in their blog was Tesla calling the man's death a statistical inevitability and that it was essentially the first known fatality in just over 130 million miles of the autopilot system. Uh, the other issue was it took Tesla a month to disclose the accident uh, so that came under scrutiny, uh, mostly because during those weeks, uh, Musk sold $2 billion worth of Tesla stock. Oh, right. So the takeaway here is really that, you know, whenever a, a fatality is involved, the right response is to lead with compassion and transparency and not defensiveness or go on the attack. There will always be time to explain what happened. But, you know, if you come out of the gate and you seem you really seem tone deaf as to the tragedy that just occurred. You know, it's not a good look and it will take the brand a little while to, to bounce back. And last one I want to chat about is United Airlines. Yes. So I'm sure your listeners remember this one. This was in 2017 when a passenger, Dr. David Dow, was forcibly removed from an overbooked flight in Chicago. Ah! Video of his bloodied face while he was screaming, being dragged down the aisle by airport security, was caught on cell phone video and viewed millions of times on social media. Uh, United's response to the event was so poor, I actually uh, dedicated a whole chapter in my book um, to this uh, particular issue. So first, United apologized, but only for overbooking, not even mentioning the passenger. Then they did mention the passenger, but insisted he was at fault and that their flight crew had acted properly when they called security. Then they apologized, and, you know, about 12 to 24 hours would uh, pass between each of these responses. They then apologized for having him be reaccommodated, yes. uh, completely <laughs> underplaying what anyone who watched the video could plainly see. Um, it took United and, and CEO Oscar Munoz about three days to get their response right, uh, but when Munoz sat down with a Good Morning America for the first time on, on 
camera about the incident, he, he did hit all the right notes and sounded genuinely remorseful. But I have to tell you, in those previous 72 hours, he and United really took a beating in terms of their stock price and also um, just in terms of, you know, public uh, criticism and, um, and, and congressional uh, oversight as well, um, because he would be called before Congress along with, um, you know, some of the other airline CEOs who had also found themselves in hot water for not uh, similar incidents, but, but other crises where passengers were at the center. Mm-hmm. And there's an example where I think what happened was the wrong thing. Sometimes a company is doing or has done the right thing. And I know this because I've worked in this world. Explaining the right thing is actually hard. There, there is no magical sound bite. It comes from a different angle. It can take too long. Uh, you have an example in your book, uh, Robin Hood, the Robin Hood crisis in 2021 a company that did the right thing, but explained it at, at the very least extremely awkwardly. Right. And um, your listeners may uh, recognize the Robin Hood name. It is uh, a retail trading app um, that is believed to have democratized uh, stock trading. And so back in January 2021, uh, there was a Reddit message board, which sparked an unprecedented trading frenzy of protest against the Wall Street establishment, uh, Robinhood shut down at one point the trading of hot stocks, GameStop, and AMC theaters. And the reason they did this was that they weren't capitalized at the time to post the collateral necessary to clear these trades. However, um, and you know, predictably, this infuriated the very retail traders that Robinhood had built its reputation on empowering. Users alleged the shutdown unfairly benefited more prominent investors. And then CEO Vlad Tenev compounded this outrage by not communicating about the decision until after an entire day of trading. And then when he did, he made matters worse by, you know, demonstrating, again, little empathy, little understanding of what people were feeling and spouting, you know, what amounted to a hodgepodge of financial jargon. He talked about the SEC net capital requirements and clearinghouse deposits all of which was technically accurate, but it didn't speak to how his users were feeling. He didn't get to the emotion of, of, you know, of the issue. And as a result of its decision and, and how he communicated to his community about it, 56% of uh, his account holders considered leaving, leaving the platform in the immediate aftermath of the debacle. Uh, they, they did not. Uh, there were folks who left, but it was nowhere near um, that that number of uh, users. Really appreciate your time today, TJ. Thanks for this. Doug, can't thank you enough. Really appreciate it. If you'd like to send a message to my guest, TJ Winnick, the address is in the show notes. Stories and Strategies is a co-production of JGR Communications and Stories and Strategies podcasts. We're hoping you might leave a rating for this podcast on either Apple or Spotify. Reviews are also very welcome. I want to thank Deborah Murphy from the Alberta Beef Producers in Red Deer, Alberta. She left a fantastic review, not on Apple or Spotify, but on LinkedIn and connected me to it. And a bunch of people saw it. That is amazing. Thank you so much, Deborah. You can connect with us on LinkedIn or on Twitter, and the address is in the show notes. We're also on Instagram. More than anything else, though, if you like this episode, would you do us a favor, just like Deborah did, and tell at least one friend. Thanks for listening.